So this morning, I want to just kind of continue what my dad started back in November, um, and it is this, house on fire. Come on. A people passionate about his presence. And I want to really just continue. I also, sorry, I just want to take one moment, and I want to honor Nikki Kamali. Come on. That message last week, if you were not here, you need to go right after church, you need to hop on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, and you need to listen to her message from last week. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. She carries such a deep revelation, and I am extremely grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the voices that are in this house. See, one of the great things about this house is first and foremost, Jesus is the head of the church, not a pastor. And what that means is, is you can walk in on a Sunday morning and it doesn't matter who's speaking. Because Jesus is here. And I love that. So we've got so many incredible voices that come up here. Jason, Wesley, Nikki, my mom, my dad. Like the voices, the leadership, the pastors in this house. And then every Sunday, it's like you don't want to miss a Sunday. It doesn't matter who's talking. It does not matter because Jesus is moving. All right. That was free. All right. So again, I just want to quickly catch this up again. Who is the church? We all know this. I'm just going to be brief, right? A church is not a building. A church is not like this. This building right here is great, but this is not the church. The church is a people, yes? That's what that word means. Ecclesia, that word means it's designating a people, not necessarily a place. So when we gather in this building, we are what? The local church, which is made up of what? The people of God. That is, that is the church. And I want to say this too, like the local church cannot just be a weekend gathering that you attend, but it must be a people or family that you belong to. This isn't about attendance. We're not counting chairs this morning and we're like, all right, let's see. Da, 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 da. Okay, let's see. 150 people. Awesome. No, 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 no. We want you to plant and belong here. You're invited into family here. That's, that's what we are. We're, we're a family. This is the local church. And I want to read this as well. This is a great quote by Rick, Rick Joyner. He says, The first century church really had only one thing going for them, God. He was all that they would need. The Lord was in their midst, living, doing wonders, teaching, comforting, and providing. There is no other way that what happened can be explained. No one would follow fishermen, tax gatherers, and peasants who had proven to be faithless and undependable, Unless the Lord was with them. Charles Spurgeon says this. I love Spurgeon. You need to read more Spurgeon. The great, uh, he's amazing. I believe that one reason, this is what he said, why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. As a pastor, that is deeply sobering. I was reading in the book of Jeremiah. How many, your favorite book of the Bible is Jeremiah? No? Okay. Not seeing any takers. Jeremiah is one of those books, you kind of read it and you're like, whoa, hello. It's like a sobering book. 
But there's a particular passage, and I want to just read it to you guys real quick, because it's really sobering as a pastor and as a leader in this in this house, it says this, Jeremiah 5, verse 30. Again, Jeremiah is pronouncing judgment on Israel. That's why this book is like, well, it's not the easiest book to read. And here, Jeremiah, in verse 30, 5, verse 30, says this, an appalling and, and horrible thing has happened in the land. Listen to this, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. But listen to this next statement. This is the one that really got me. And my people love it so. Did you catch that? It's not just that the prophets were prophesying falsely. That's bad enough. It's not just that the priests were leading under their own authority. It's that the people loved it. Oh, that's sobering. You mean we can have a great gathering, we can have prophetic words, we can be standing up here and releasing the word in a way that's actually in our own understanding. People gather, people come, there's crowds, and Jesus is not in their midst. Listen to this. As leaders and pastors in this house, we are held accountable for leading a church that either looks only at Jesus or looks at the world to help us define Jesus. And I am in it for Jesus. That's my sole thing. Like, we're not gonna let the world define him. We're not gonna let the world seep in and start to define scripture, start to define the way we do things. We are gonna only look at Jesus. And so when I read this passage in Jeremiah, I think to myself, I wanna be a house, a people so passionate about his presence that there's literally no room for this. There's no room for it. All right, so this word house, when we say house on fire, what are we talking about? When my dad and I were praying about this message and this, this series, the first scripture that came to my mind was actually a psalm of David, and it's Psalm 69, verse 9, and it says, zeal for your house has consumed me. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. This passage is sandwiched. I love David because David's just straight up real. And this passage is sandwiched in between David basically pouring out like, I feel estranged. Everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. Like David's just pouring his heart out. And then he sandwiches in this statement. But in the midst of the fact that I'm struggling with everything, zeal for your people, zeal for you is what's consuming me. David was saying that his heart was so full of passion and affection for the house of God that it literally consumed him. Even though he was like, oh, people don't like me right now, but I am putting this one thing before you, your house. My zeal will be for your house. And I love this. This is quoted again in John 2, 17. Now, how many of you remember, kids, you remember when Jesus comes into the temple and he starts pushing tables over? Yeah? It's one of my favorite scriptures. 
Partly because Jesus then says, my house shall be a house of prayer, right? But listen, in John, the disciples, right after Jesus has pushed all these tables over and he's come down with a whip, and like this is one of those moments that you're like, whoa, I don't know if I would have wanted to be near Jesus or in the temple. But the disciples remember, zeal for your house will consume me. What's the point? Jesus is revealing the zeal that he has for this house. But what really is his house, right? What what does that word mean? In the Hebrew, back in Psalm 69, the word house means a family, a temple, or a people. And in Greek, it means a dwelling. So my house means my family, my people, my dwelling place. Jesus is zealous for you. His heart burns for you. His heart burns that we wouldn't make things about programs or business, but that we would make it about him. That we would turn our affection and turn our devotion completely to look at Jesus and who he is, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But in case I am delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. The household of God is the church of the living God. So my point in all of this is this. Jesus is zealous for his church. And the reason that he's jealous, he's zealous is because he's jealous. Jealous? Isn't that a word that we're not supposed to use? It's not something that we tell our kids, like, we don't want to be jealous. Why is God jealous? Because he wants all of you. His heart is consumed for you. It's consumed with passion. That word even means intense affection. He's intensely affectionate for you, zeal for his house, to the point of saying, I will remove all barriers, hindrances, tax collectors, tables, businesses, things that don't belong in your heart and things that don't belong in the local church. I am zealous for one thing, you completely set apart before me. That's a house on fire. What's he zealous for? For his bride to be with him. To literally be a house or a dwelling place of the Lord. So when we say house on fire in this series, what we're talking about is a people, that's us, who are passionate, zealous, and burning with intense desire for his presence, just like his heart is burning with intense desire for his people. A people passionate about his presence. And listen, why, why, why are we so passionate about his presence? He is the all-consuming fire. He is our fire. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 29. It says, for our God is a, is a consuming fire. Revelation 1:14. his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. but we have to set him first. Have you, ever, have you ever read 
the Old Testament and thought to yourself, why were the Israelites, why were people so afraid of the Israelites? Wasn't because they outnumbered people. Wasn't because they had more swords. In fact, if you look at Judges 7, Gideon, they went from 22,000 to 10,000, and then God said, that's still too many. I need just 300. What's the point? The point is that God doesn't care about numbers. What he cares about is a people that will put his presence before anything. And he doesn't need 22,000. He doesn't need 10,000. I believe with all my heart that right now we're in a time where there's a remnant arising. There's a remnant of believers that are arising that say, I will trust one thing and that's Jesus. And then he says, I can use you. Will you be my 300? Will you be in one of my 300 that I can use to transform a nation? That I can use to transform a city? I don't need 22,000. I just need the 300. Come on, that's what Convergence Church is for. That's what we're all about. We're going to be the remnant. We're going to be the 300. The point is that Israel wasn't mighty because they had more men and a better battle strategy. They were mighty because of the fire. (laughs) God was with them. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Exodus 33. We're going to start in verse 12. If you're taking notes this morning, my main point is this. A house on fire is a people passionate about his presence. It's the tagline that we had. And I want to read you this this passage, and then I'm going to kind of teach for just a minute. Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you, in order that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, someone say presence, shall go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, this is a verse that we've quoted here often. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how can it then be known, verse 16, that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not by your going with us so that we I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. I want you to catch that. Someone tell me, what distinguishes them from all the other people? His presence. That's right. His presence. Not good church gatherings. His presence. Because if his presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. What I want to say is this, Moses, and then we have Moses, we literally have Moses crying out to the Lord. I'm just going to summarize this last portion. He says, show me your glory. And then what happens? God says, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And Moses experiences the presence. He encounters God. But I want to just stop here for just a minute because I think sometimes 
we can get caught up in using all of these words. Sometimes they become sort of Christianese, right? It's like presence, encounter. It's like, what does that really mean? Like when we break that word down, when we say encounter Jesus, when we say we're so passionate about his presence, what are we talking about, right? And I think sometimes, I'll just be honest, in a charismatic environment, when we're kind of all in this place, I think sometimes we can actually lose the weight of what we're talking about. That word presence in the Hebrew is the word panam. Say panam. That word is presence. And what that means is sometimes we get caught, like sometimes we can think, oh, the presence is like this ethereal thing, you know? I'm just going to pull down the presence. You know, and it sort of becomes like almost this goosebumpy, manifesty thing where we're like, the presence is here. What is the presence? God himself. It's not this thing where we're like, okay, let's see, it's the presence. You know, presence. It's God among us. So the presence is as real as everything that you see because it's God literally standing right in front of you. That's what presence means. It's God among you. It's, it's literally his face. That word means face. So you can picture I'm looking right at Justin's face. That's his presence. It's a presence like that. That's Justin. So when I'm saying the presence, we're passionate about his presence, what are we passionate about? The fact that God is here. The fact that God is among us. Not that I have to pull something down and be like, where's the presence? It's like, no, it's him. It's literally him. That's what distinguishes all other religions. We follow him not because he's some God that we pray to and he's like, oh, maybe he'll do something. It's the fact that he's among us. He is here. It's the presence. When we say presence, it isn't some weird thing. It's God among men. Moses encountered the presence of God. He literally passed before him. When we say encounter, what does that mean? Like that's a, that could be sort of like this Christian, you know, yeah, encounter. What does it mean? When I encounter Justin, what just happened? I just met him face to face. So when we say encounter Jesus, we're not like saying it's just like, yeah, this weird thing. No, no, no. I'm literally encountering the man Jesus, who is not just this thing that's up in heaven that I'm trying to pull down. It's the fact that Jesus is right here, and all I have to do is say, Jesus, encounter me. I want to meet you face to face. Jesus didn't leave the Holy Spirit so that we would live attempting to figure out how to bring Jesus back down to earth so we could be with him and experience him moving in our lives. He left the Holy Spirit because, listen, he wanted to not just walk among us, but to be within us as the people of God. He doesn't just want us to worship in a temple, but to be a temple. Like, why do you think, why do you think that you walk into this building and it feels different than a Walmart? Right? I'm just using Walmart as an example, because when I walk into Walmart, I'm already feeling a little tense. 
Where am I, right? But think about it. It's not because we have different tissues. It's not because the walls are different. It's not because our restroom's cleaner, even though it is, right? Come on, speak, Jesus. That's it, right? Like, I walk in Walmart, and I'm like, whoa. But wait, but if, if all of us left this building, and this was just a building, nobody was in it, what's the difference between this building and Walmart? There's really not a difference. Structurally, we're the same pretty much, right? Walls, bathrooms, faucets. We just don't have a large number of items for sale. What's my point? My point is that when you walk into this room, the reason, <laughs> the reason that it feels different is because you're in this room. Because Jesus is in this room. Because you walked in as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus is here. This is his house. So when you walk into this room, it's not Walmart because this is his house. So it better feel different in here. And if it doesn't, we need to go back to Jeremiah 5. This is his house. Sometimes in the charismatic environment, I think we, can, we talk so much about gifts, presence, and encounter that we lose that depth. Like, we don't mean singing good worship songs. This morning was one of those sets. I love it. We sang one song, and then we spent like 20 minutes not singing a song. We were diving into the prophetic. And I love that because it's not about singing songs. It's not about trying to pull down some power, get some anointing, just trying to... Uh, it's about the fact that the power of Jesus is with you because he's inside of you and all around you. Amen. I'm not trying to, sometimes I think we're like, oh, if I can just get more anointing, if I can just have more power. No, 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 no. It's as simple as seeing him and where he, he's right there. But listen, he cannot just be something we like to talk about on Sundays. He has to consume our life. A house on fire is a people consumed with Jesus as their reality. This is one of the things that's marked my life in a very difficult season is this. If Jesus is not my reality, I am not going to make it. But I don't just mean like, like talk, fun to talk about, read my Bible, worship Jesus. I mean the Jesus that consumes my life. Literally, if I don't lean on him at every moment, I will fall over Jesus. That's what I mean. Let me borrow this chair. All right. Kids, what is this? A chair. Thank you. What is a chair made to do? You're made to sit on a chair. Now, let me ask you another question. If you walk into this room and you see this chair, do you have any doubt that this chair is gonna hold you up? Any doubt, right? It's a chair. It's a Walmart chair. I like that. Maybe it won't hold me up then. Okay, all right. This is a chair, right? I walk into this room and we're all sitting in red chairs, we all know when we sit in that chair, 
we trust that the chair is going to keep me up. That I am sitting in a chair, that's its purpose, that's what it's there for, right? So listen, I come in, I sit on this chair. This is a chair. Cool, awesome. Listen to this. Jesus has to be as real as that red chair to you. I know that sounds super simple, but I think we lose it so many times. So many times. Like we should walk into this room and Jesus should be so real that we sit in him, in his presence. We sit here and we trust that he is going to hold us up. And then we trust that if we don't have a chair, if we all came in here one Sunday and there were no chairs and we all tried to sit down, right, we're going to fall over. Why? Because there's no chairs. I'm trying to sit down in a chair that's not there. That's like you trying to sit down in your own understanding. When Jesus isn't your reality, you're trying to sit down, but there's no chair there. You're trying to figure it out on your own, but there's no chair there. If Jesus is as real as the air that we breathe, then we come into this place and we trust, man, I don't know what's going on. I've been in the day of trouble. I have been in the year of trouble. I have been struggling. I have been crying out. I am doing everything that I can just to keep my head above water, but I can trust one thing, and that is if I sit in this chair, Jesus is here. Like, Jesus has to be the very breath that you breathe. I think sometimes we, we, we come in and we're like, all right, we're just trying to find, like, we're trying to figure out how to have more of Jesus. And I think Jesus is like, do you realize that I am literally the air that you are breathing? I am more real than that red chair. I am more real than this carpet that I am walking on right now. I am more real than every circumstance you've ever walked through. I am more real than that disease. I am more real than anything that you could possibly imagine or name. I am actually deep of a reality than that thing. Like that material thing is not as real as Jesus is. Jesus has to be so real in your life that that reality consumes you. And if that reality consumes you, then everywhere you walk, you will start to see him. You will see him in everything. I've been to the hospital way too many times this year, but I can tell you one thing. Every time I'm there, I see Jesus. And you want to know, I see him in the nurses. I see him. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't know why I'm here. I don't want to be here. But I want to see you. And then I can see him. Not because circumstances are okay, because they're not. Not because I, I have to have an answer for everything, because I don't but because I have to realize if he is not my reality, then there is no reason for me to be here. Like, I don't want to be here. I have to have the reality of Jesus in my life. Therefore, I have to search for him and find him in everything, even if it's difficult. I have to see Jesus or I won't make it. That's the level of what Jesus wants us to realize. His reality has to be so real to you that you walk around and you're like, I have to see him. 
I have to see him. I'm getting real passionate this morning. A house on fire is the reality that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit inside of you, longs that we would stop trying to find the fire and instead that we would realize that if he is as close as the air that we breathe, then the fire is right here. Sometimes I think we can get this idea that we have to, we have to like, oh, where's the fire? And we lose sight of the fact and said, what if we said, Jesus, would you reveal how close you are to me today? It's not about Jesus not being there. It's about you recognizing that he's there. It's about focus. Are we focused on Jesus or are we focused on something else? Acts 4, verse 13 says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, listen to this, they were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. These are uneducated, untrained guys. They don't have a seminary degree. They don't have a master's degree. And yet here they are speaking words that they could have never even known how to speak if it wasn't for Jesus. And so they were sitting back and they were like, whoa, this guy doesn't have a master's in the Torah. He doesn't have a master's in anything. But listen, they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. Justin, can I have some piano? I want to I land the plane with this. Say, this is all great, Andrew, but what's, what's the application? What's the point? The point is this. We now know what a house on fire is. We know what his presence is. It's him. The fire is him burning within us. So the question is, how do we continually burn, right? How do I continually burn? If he is our reality, then our one desire must be to continually see him. This is how the house remains on fire, because we continually see him. It isn't about the fact that, see, sometimes I think it's not about the fact that the flame goes out, right? The flame doesn't go out. God's flame never goes out. His fire is not something that just, whoop, oh, something quenched it. It's about the fact that are we seeing him? Is our focus on him so that we see the fire? So that the fire continually burns within us because we see him. Where is your gaze? Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What are the eyes of your heart, right? It's kind of a weird, like, eyes. Like, my heart doesn't have eyes. Like, what are the eyes of your heart? It's faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is what? Well, it depends on your translation. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the confidence. I love the translation that says faith is a substance. Wait, faith? Faith? Faith is a substance. 
It's as real as that chair because it's Jesus. Faith is Jesus. Substance means something you see, something you actually can engage with. You say, how do I see Jesus? You have to understand the new covenant. Through the Holy Spirit, you see Jesus in everything because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. What does that mean? It means your house is his house. Your temple is his temple. And listen, his substance hasn't left. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus and his spirit is within us. That means that Jesus is as real today as he has ever been right now in this room. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, if we walk, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, why does it say that? If we walk by faith and not by sight, because your faith is your sight. Your faith is your sight. It's the way that you see. Your faith is in Jesus, and he wants to, you to see him in everything. If Jesus isn't as real as the air that I breathe, then I literally won't make it. That's where I'm at. If I go through the day of trouble and I'm not going through it with Jesus, I don't know how I'm gonna survive. I have to see him. Like seeing him as real as this chair allows me to take the hope out of myself. It allows me to take my pain and place it in his hands. It allows my heart to burn with a fire that I cannot produce on my own because it is his fire. His fire has to consume your house. John 20. I want to read this, and this is where I want to end. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And it's when Mary, Mary visits the tomb. And here she is, verse 14. It says, when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And so she's thinking, well, this is just the gardener. So she said, sir, if you have carried me away, if, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And in that moment, it's like it jolted something in her. And she said, it's you. She turned and she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. And I want you to listen to this. This is it right here. Mary Magdalene came and announced to disciples. What did she say? She said five words. I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. That was what Mary ran to the disciples with. It wasn't, hey, 
Jesus is here. That would have been great. Like Jesus has talked, like I talked to him. No, it's I've seen him. In the midst of everything, she saw the Lord and that was her revelation that she went running with. It was I have seen him. A people passionate about his presence choose to live like Mary and have our lives reflect the reality that we have seen the Lord. The reality of his victorious resurrection prompted a response. It was the reality that Jesus was right in front of Mary. Did you know this morning that Jesus is right in front of you? Did you know this morning that you don't have to figure out how to get Jesus? It's not like, Jesus, where are you? It's like, Jesus, you're here. Can I recognize you for who you are and for where you are? Because my desire is that I would see you. Sometimes the issue isn't where, it's not that he's not there. It's us recognizing that he's all around you. When you walk into that hospital room, Jesus just walked in with you. When you walk into this church and you sit in this red chair, Jesus sat in that red chair with you. When you walk into school on Monday morning, Jesus walked into school with you. As believers, with the Holy Spirit within us, it's not just I have seen, but it's I see the Lord. I see the Lord. This is what it looks like to be a house on fire. Your house, your heart burns for him. Your heart burns for what is in his heart. Your heart burns to see him every day. Listen, the reality of what I'm saying is that in the days to come, there will only be more shaking. And the difference is going to be, do you see him? Do you see him in the midst of politics? Do you see him in the midst of shaking in the economy? In the midst of worlds crumbling? In the midst of things happening that you don't understand? Do you see him? And if you don't, you need to. Because it's the only thing that will sustain your life. Your house cannot survive without seeing him. Can we stand? I just want to pray into this for a second. A house on fire is a people passionate about his presence. What is his presence? It's literally God among you. It's him face to face. In the midst of all the trials that I've walked through this year, the reality of the fact that Jesus is Literally, the air that I breathe is the only thing that has sustained me. And my prayer in the midst of everything has been, Lord, would you be so much realer to me? In the midst of what I've walked through, I want my fire to never go out, but the, re the way that my fire keeps burning is because you're, the reality of the fact that you are always with me is inside of me to the degree that I will never lean on my own understanding. 
because I don't want to fall down when I'm trying to sit in a chair. Because I want to trust that even though I fall, you pick me up. Even though I'm struggling, you're there. Even though my heart is saying, where are you, Lord? You're right there. And so I can say, Jesus, help me recognize you in every circumstance. The reality of the fact that Jesus is God with us. It's not just God in heaven. It's not God, can I just pull down more of God? It's God right in front of you. He's all around you. He's in the air you breathe. So Jesus, my prayer this morning is that our hearts would burn. Lord, that we would be like Mary, Lord, that we would just walk around and our constant prayer is, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. Would you put your hand on your heart this morning? Lord, I'm asking this morning that our hearts would burn for you, Jesus. Lord, that our hearts would burn for you. God, would you make us a people that are so aware of your presence that when we're walking around in our day-to-day life, we stop and we say, Lord, that's you. Lord, we will not be like the disciples on the road to Emmaus where you, wa- you literally walked with them and spoke with them and they never recognized you. And then they came away and they said, were not our hearts burning? <laughs> Their hearts were burning because Jesus wanted them to recognize that it was him. It was him. Lord, would you make us like Mary where when you say our name, Andrew, we can say, oh, I've seen him. I could see him. So Jesus, I ask you for hearts to burn this morning, Lord, with the reality of the fact that you are so near to them. Lord, you're so near to us this morning, God. Would you open our eyes, would you open our ears in our everyday life that we wouldn't just pass you by, but that we would stop and recognize, oh, there's Jesus. There he is. And because I see you, Lord, would you consume my heart? Would you consume my heart that it would burn? That I'm not just going to do Sunday to Sunday Christianity. My desire is that every day I wake up and I say, Lord, would you consume my heart? Oh, Lord, would you consume my everyday life that while I'm doing the dishes, I can see you. That while I'm out in the backyard, while I'm with, with my kids, I can see you. When I'm teaching students at school, I can see you. When I'm working in my cubicle, I can see you. Jesus, I'm asking this Christmas season, even as we're stepping into Christmas, that the reality of God with us would be so real. Oh, Lord, that it would be so real in everything that we do, that we would recognize your presence, that we would recognize your face literally right in front of us, Lord. You have not lost your gaze. It's the fact that we just have to turn and we have to look at you. Jesus, would you let our hearts to burn? Lord, we want to be an all-consuming fire, Lord. The only thing that will sustain us is your fire. The only thing that will sustain us is your fire. 
So God, would our hearts burn. Let our hearts burn with unquenchable fire. If that's your prayer, just say, Lord, make my heart burn. Lord, would you let my heart burn? Lord, would you let my heart burn? Some of you, you need to take a practical step on a day-to-day basis. You need to just stop and you need to ask him, Holy Spirit, what is Jesus doing right now? Where is Jesus right now? We ask our daughter that question and she always points to a certain spot in her crib where, where she knows that Jesus sits. Not because we've said, hey, Adeline, Jesus is over here, but because she can see him. Because she can see him, because she has that faith like a child, that faith that says, I will not walk by my own sight. I will walk. My eyes will be my faith because I believe that you're here, Jesus. I believe that you're here. You're as real to my daughter as this chair is because she can see you. Lord, would you help us to see you? Oh, Jesus, would we be able to say, where are you? You're right here. Jesus, you're in the car next to me when I drive. Lord, would you allow the reality of God among us, God within us, to be more real? Lord, that this isn't just good Bible verses, it's not just good teaching, it's not just a good service, it's the reality of the fact that we go everywhere and you go with us everywhere. Jesus, we're here because we will literally not survive in this shaking world of trouble without seeing you. It's not enough just to quote Bible verses. We have to see him. We have to have him, his fire. Jesus. 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 I just want you, Jesus. Can you just say that? I just want you, Jesus. I just want you, Jesus. I just want you to take one minute and I want you to ask Jesus right now. I want you to say, Jesus, help me recognize you in everything. Open my eyes to see you. And I just want you to take a minute and I just want you to spend time with him for just a minute. I just want him to reveal himself to you. Jesus. Oh, Lord. Can I see you? I want to see you. I want to see you. I just want you, Jesus. Lord, would you consume anything that needs to be consumed that's not of you, that would allow the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, that would allow our faith to be able to latch on in that place of belief to say, I see the Lord.
just want you, nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, and nothing else, and nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, come on, sing it out, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, I just want you, I just need you, oh. You're the only thing that matters. You're the only thing that matters. I need to see you. I need to see you. Just to know you more. I just want you. Oh. I just want you. I just want you. I only need you. I just want you. Jesus, as we end today, Lord, we just declare that we will be a house on fire. Our one desire, Lord, is that we would just see you, that we would just know you, Lord. Jesus, would you consume our every day? Would you consume our hearts, Lord? You are God with us, Emmanuel. If I could have our ministry teams come up. If you need prayer, I just want to encourage you, come. Come get prayed for this morning. Let's leave this place with those five words. When you go, when you wake up Monday morning, you can walk in to your office and you can say, hey, guess what? <laughs> I have seen the Lord. What did... What did you do? I have seen the Lord. And they'll be like, what? What in the world are you talking about? And you can explain to them how real Jesus is.